Hello. Hi. And welcome to Infinite Cast, a podcast. Uh, and greetings from cloudy Los Angeles. Cloudy Los Angeles. Uh, we are technically on vacation right now, but content never sleeps. No way. No way, Jose. Um, so, well, before we start, I'm just going to complain about something. I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to take vacation here. Uh, so I took one day off producing Chapo and they suddenly the, the the boys managed to fuck up recording so badly that they all recorded into one microphone for some reason. That's amazing. It's I, I literally cannot leave them alone for a second. I, lo- I love that for them. Yeah. So uh, sorry about uh, today's Chapo. But uh, if you listen to this show as well, uh, then at least you get a nice high quality recording of our silly little book podcast two different tracks right it two appears. different tracks that's <laughs> Listen, that's how the pro- pros do it we can promise you we can't promise you a lot of the show but we can promise you two things one we're gonna finish the book two two tracks two tracks two tracks of crisp clean audio uh anyway let's get into it all right uh we're we're off the out outcropping we're away from uh don and joel for now and we're into a character that we've met before we're about to get him get to know him a little better you ready? Yes, I am ready. Okay. It is starting to get quietly around Ennett House that Randy Lenz has found his own dark way to deal with the well-known rage and powerlessness issues that beset the drug addict in his first few months of abstinence. The nightly AA or NA meetings get out at 2130 hours or 2200 hours, and curfew isn't until 2330, and every Ennett House or any every Ennett resident mostly carpools back to the house with whatever residents have cars, or some of them go out in cars for massive doses of ice cream and coffee. (laughs) Lenz is one of the ones with a car, a heavily modified old duster, white with what looks like 12-gauge blasts of rust over the wheel wells, with oversized rear tires, and an engine so bored out for heavy breathing speed, it's a small miracle he still has a license. Lenz sets loafer one one outside Ennett House only after sunset, and then only in his white toupee and mustache and billowing tall collared co- top coat and goes only to the required nightly meetings. And the thing is, is that he'll never drive his own car to the meetings. He always thumbs along with somebody else and adds to the crowd in their car. And then he always has to sit in the northernmost seat in the car for some <laughs> reason, using a compass and napkin to plot out what the night's major direction of travel will be and then figuring out what seat he'll have to stand, be in to stay maximally north. Both Gately and Jeanette Foltz have had to make a nightly routine of telling the other residents that Lenz is teaching them valuable patience and tolerance. (laughs) But then after the meeting lets out, Lenz never thumbs back with anybody. He always walks back to the house after meetings. He says it's that he needs the air, what with being shut up in the crowded house all day and avoiding doors and windows, hiding from both sides of the justice system. (laughs) As you recall, possibly recall, he's both, I think, wanted by the police and by the uh, underworld uh, that he had previously been doing deals with. Yes. Uh, And then one Wednesday after the Brookline Young People's AA up Beacon by Chestnut Hill, it takes him right up to 2329 to get home, almost two hours, even though it's like a half-hour walk, and even Bert Smith did it in September in under an hour, and Lenz gets back just at curfew and without saying a word to anybody, books right up to his and Glynn's and Day's room, polo topcoat flapping and powdered wig shedding powder and sweating and making an unacceptable classy-shoed racket running up the men's side's carpetless stairs, which Gately didn't have time to go up and address because of having to deal with Bruce Green and Amy J. separately both missing curfew. 
lends abroad in the urban night, solo on almost a nightly basis, sometimes carrying a book. Residents who seem to make it a point to go off alone a lot are red flagged at Thursday's all-staff meeting in Pat's <laughs> office as clear relapse risks, but they pulled spot urine, urines on Lens five times, and the three times the lab didn't fuck up the EMIT test, <laughs> Lens's, urines come, Lens's urines come back clean. Gately's basically decided to just let Lens be. Some newcomer's higher power is like nature, the sky, the stars, <laughs> the cold penny tang of the otter mare, who knows. So Lens abroad in the night, unaccompanied and disguised, apparently strolling. He's mastered the street's cockeyed grid around Enfield, Brighton, Alston, South Cambridge and East Newton and North Brookline, and the hideous spur. He takes side streets home from meetings, mostly. Low-rent, dumpster-strewn residential streets and projects' driveways that become alleys, gritty passages behind stores and dumpsters and warehouses and loading docks and empire waste displacement mongo hangers, etc., his loafers have a wicked shine and make an elegant dancerly click as he walks along <laughs> with his hands in his pockets, an open coat flared wide, scanning. He scans for several nights before he even becomes aware of why or what he might be scanning for, which takes us to EndNote 224. QV, <laughs> QV William James on that latent process of unconscious preparation often preceding a sudden awakening to the fact that the mischief is irretrievably done the line that actually snapped Lens to what he was up to when he chanced to read it in a huge large print edition he found behind a bookshelf along the north wall of the Ennett living room of something called The Principles of Psychology with the Gifford Lectures on Natural Religion by William James, obviously, available in EZC large font print from Microsoft slash NAL slash Random House Tickner Fields Little Brown and Co. <laughs> uh, copyright YTMP, a volume that's come to mean a great deal to Lens. I'm not quite, I'm not quite sure what that is. Maybe we'll get back to that. Okay. Back to the text. He moves nightly through urban animal territory. Liberated house cats and hardcore strays ooze in and out of shadows, rustle in dumpsters, fuck and fight with hellish noises all around him as he walks. Senses very sharp in the downscale night. You got your rats, your mice, your stray dogs with tongues hanging and countable ribs, maybe the odd feral hamster and or raccoon, everything slinky and furtive after sunset. Also non-stray dogs that clank their chains or bay or lunge when he goes by yards with dogs. He prefers to move north, but will move east or west on the streets' good sides. His shoes' fine click precedes him by several hundred meters on cement of varying texture. Sometimes near drainage pipes he sees serious rats, or sometimes near cat-free dumpsters. The first conscious thing he did was a rat that this one time he came on some rats in a wide W.E. alley by the loading dock out behind the Svelte Nail Co. just east of Watertown on North Harvard Street. What night was that? It'd been coming back from East Watertown, which meant more will be revealed, N.A., with Glynn and Deal <laughs> instead of St. E.'s Better Late Than Never, A.A., with the rest of the houses heard, so a Monday. So on a Monday, he'd been strolling through this one alley, his steps echoing trebled back off the cement sides of the docks and the north left wall he hugged, scanning without knowing what he was scanning for. Up ahead, there was the stegosaurus shape of a Svelte Co. dumpster, as versus your lower slimmered EWD-type dumpster. <laughs> there were dry, skulky sounds issuing from the dumpster's shadow. He hadn't consciously picked anything up. The alley's surface was coming apart, and Lens barely broke his dancerly stride, picking a kilo-sized chunk of tar-shot concrete. It was rats. Two big rats were going at a half-eaten wiener in a mustardy paper tray from a <laughs> lunch wagon in a recess between the north wall and the dumpster's barge hinge. Hitch. 
Their hideous pink tails were poking out into the alley's dim light. They didn't move as Randy Lenz came up behind him on the toes on the sorry behind them on the toes of his loafers. Their tails were meaty and bald and like twitched back and forth, twitching in and out of the dim yellow light. The big flat top chunk came down on most of one rat and a bit of the other rat. There had been god awful twittering squeaks, but the major hit on the one rat also made a very solid and significant noise. Some oral combination of a tomato thrown at a wall and a pocket watch getting clocked with a hammer. I figured this is where this was going. Mm -hmm. Material came out of the rat's anus. Oh, gross. The rat lay on its side in a very bad medical way, its tail twitching and anus material, and there were little beads of blood on its whiskers that looked black, the beads, in the sodium security light along the svelte nail co roof. Its side heaved. Its back legs were moving like it was running, but this rat wasn't going anywhere. (laughs) The other rat had, like, he's writing this in, like, a noir style, yeah. right? The other rat had vanished under the dumpster, dragging its rear region. There were more chunks of dismantled street lying all over. When Lenz brought another down on the head of the rat, he consciously discovered what he'd like to say at the moment of issue resolution was, there. <laughs> Demapping rats became Lenz's way of resolving internal type issues for the first couple of weeks of it, walking home in the verminal dark. Verminal? <laughs> Verminal, uh, that appears to be a word that he made up. up. There are a lot of words in here that I assume are not real words. Yeah, he's he's a sort of backing into uh, uh, etymologies of stuff. Yeah, which uh, I think more authors should use. If you have the confidence to uh, to use a word where I can tell what the what the meaning is uh, and it uh, elicits the the meaning that you want or, uh, you know, improves a description of something, go for it. Just go make up it. words. Just do it. Uh, English is already a, a nonsense as it is. You can, you can figure out how ways to uh, adge- ad- adjectify. Adject. Ooh, is that? Yeah. <laughs> I agree. Uh, anything. Verminal. Verminal. Don Gately, house chef and shopper, buys these huge econo-sized boxes of Hefty, which takes us to end night 225, uh, that's registered the Mobile Chemical Co.'s Consumer Products Branches Plastic Division, Pittsburgh, New, New York. Back to the text. Hefty bags that get stored under the kitchen sink for whoever's got trash for their weekly chore. And it house generates serious waste. So after vermin started to get a little ho-hum and insignificant, Len starts cabbaging a hefty bag out from under the sink and taking it with him to meetings and walking back home with it. He keeps the trash bag neatly folded in an inside pocket of his top coat a billowing top-collared Lauren Polo model he loves and uses a daily lint roller on. He also takes along a little of the house's food bank tuna fish in a Ziploc baggie in another pocket, which your average drug addict has expertise in rolling baggies into a cylinder so they're secure and odor-free. <laughs> the Ennett House residents call hefty bags Irish luggage. <laughs> Even McDade. Is that where you got that? Yes. Because I know, I'm the, sure, I know I, that you have said that I can say it because I'm Irish. Yes. Uh, Even McDade, it's a street term. Randy Lenz found that if he could get an urban, I've sorry, I I have fully moved houses using uh put, putting all my clothes into hefty bags. Yeah, it is Irish luggage. It is Irish luggage. Yes. Randy Lenz found that if he could get an urban cat up close enough with some outstretched tuna, he could pop the hefty bag over it and scoop up from the bottom, so the cat was in the air in the bottom of the bag, and then he could tie the bag shut with a complimentary wire twist tie that comes with each bag. He could put the clothes bag down next to the vicinity's northernmost wall or fence or dumpster 
and light a gasper and hunker down up next to the wall to watch the wide variety of changing shapes the bag would assume as the agitated cat got lower on air. The shapes got more and more violent and twisted and mid-air with the passage of a minute. After it stopped assuming shapes, uh, Lens would dab his butt with a spitty finger to save the rest for later and get up and untie the twist tie and look inside the bag and go, there. The there turned out to be crucial for the sense of brisance and closure and resolving issues of impotent rage and powerless fear that, like a crude in Lens all day, being trapped in the northeastern portions of a squalid halfway house all day, fearing for his life, Lens See, felt. We, we've been having too much fun in this book, and it was time to do something harrowing. Like, it was time to do just, something sick. Yeah, sick and harrowing again. There, there evolved for Lens a certain sportsman's hierarchy of types of cats and neighborhoods of types of your abroad cats, and he becomes a connoisseur of cats the same way a deep-sea sportsman knows the fish species that fight most fiercely and excite excitatingly for their marine <laughs> lives. <laughs> the best and most fiercely alive cats could usually claw their way out of a hefty bag, though, which created this conundrum where the ones most watching, worth watching assumed bag shapes... Uh, the, sorry, the ones most worth watching assuming bag shapes were the ones Lens risked maybe not getting his issues resolved on. Watching a spike-furred hissing cat run, twisting away, still half-wrapped in a plastic bag, made Lens admire the cat's fighting spirit, but still feel unresolved. So the next stage is Lens gives Miss Charlotte Treat or Miss Hester Thrale some of his own money when they go down to the palace spa or father-son to buy smokes or lifesavers and has them start to get him special hefty steel sack trash bags. This takes us to endnote uh, 226, uh, registered IBID. <laughs> Back to the text. Fiber reinforced for your especially sharp or uncooperative waist needs. Described by Ken E. as Irish Gucci's. <laughs> extra resilient and a business-like gunmetal gray in tone. Lens has such a panoply of strange compulsive habits that a request for steel sacks barely raises a brow on anybody. And then he doubles them, the special reinforced bags, and employs industrial growth pipe cleaners as twist ties. And then now the grittiest, most salutary cats make the doubled bags assume all manners of wickedly abstract twisting shapes, even sometimes moving the closed bags a couple dozen meters down the alley in a haphazard, hopping-like fashion, until finally the cat runs out of gas and resolves itself and lends his issues into one nightly shape. Were you going to say something? I was just thinking that uh, Force Flex uh, bags probably didn't exist at this time. Yeah. Think also, of, the think idea, of all the garbage bag innovations that David Foster Wallace didn't live long enough to see. He mentions twist ties that are separate from the bags. Did they not have the like ribbon uh, insert in the bag back in the nineties? Uh, I don't know, but I've I've certainly accidentally bought uh, garbage bags that have that same that who have the twist ties that come with all them, right, and so I'm always disappointed when I get them that I fucked up and didn't get the internalized uh, tie. You gotta have the, those internal ri- ribbons. Yeah, and now they have they even have bags that smell like Febreze. Yeah, which <laughs> I don't. It's too. I don't like. It's too much. When when it's they too, make too uh, much of an artificial. The, tra- scent. the trash is gonna smell like trash. When it smells yeah. like trash and perfume, it's like worse. Yes, it is. I agree. All right. Lenses interval of choice for this is the interval twenty two sixteen hours to twenty two twenty six hours. He doesn't consciously know why this interval. Anchovies turn out to be even more effective than tuna. A program of attraction, he recalls coolly, strolling along. His northern routes back to the house are restricted by the priority to keep Brighton Best Savings Bank's rooftop digital time and temperature display in view as much as possible. BBSB displays both EST and Greenwich Greenwich Mean. Greenwich Mean? Yes. uh, Which Lens approves of. (laughs) 
the sky. <laughs> the liquid crystal data sort of melts upward into view on the screen and then disappears from the bottom up and is replaced by new data. Mr. Dooney Arglin said at the House's community meeting Monday once that one time in BS 1989 AD, after he'd done a reckless amount of a hallucinogen, he'd refer to only as the Madame. <laughs> he'd gone around for several subsequent weeks under a Boston sky that instead of a kindly curved blue dome with your clouds and your stars and sun was a flat, square, coldly Euclidean grid with black <laughs> axes and a thread-fine rizzo of lines creating grid-type coordinates. The whole grid the same color as a DEC HD viewer screen when the viewer's off. That sort of dead, deep-water gray-green with the DOW ticker running up one side of the grid and the Nikkei index running down the other and the time and Celsius temp to, like, serious decimal points flashing along the bottom axis of the sky's screen. And whenever he'd go to a real clock or get a herald and check the, like, DOW, or sorry, the Dow, uh, the sky grid would turn out to have been totally accurate and that several unbroken weeks of this sky overhead had sent Glenn off to first his mother's Stoneham apartment's fold-out couch and then into Waltham's uh, Metropolitan State Hospital for a month of Haldol, which takes us to end note 227. I know you're going to say something. I promise this sentence ends soon. Okay. Uh, AKA Hal- Haloperidol, McNeil Pharmaceutical, five milligrams, slash milliliters, pre-filled syringes. Picture several cups of celestial seasoning cinnamon soother tea, <laughs> followed by a lead-filled sap across the back of the skull. Uh, back, back in and tapioca to get out from under the empty grid accurate sky and says it makes his ass wet to this day to even think about the grid interval. But Lenz had thought it sounded wicked nice. The sky is digital timepiece. I just wanted to say that um, it's a lot of words to say the sky was the color of a television tuned to a dead channel. Yeah. Uh, The great opening line of Neuromancer. Uh, seeing seeing an accurate uh, stock ticker and um, <laughs> did did you f- I have to again I don't know when they invented the um like the bank display or um similar that does like the the time and yeah, the, yeah. like a digital version of that mm-hmm. was that the nineties I don't know did they have it in the eighties digital clocks digital clocks were invented in the eighties I believe okay um I I've all, when I was a kid I always thought those those were just cool I was like they know what temperature it is right now <laughs> it is funny to th- that it's something that like a bank would feel like it, it harkens back to a time when a bank was like some kind of centerpiece of a community yeah so you know where hub. it would be like where it which should the bank should tell the time and temperature you know yeah it's the least they can do uh, where now I feel like you know most banks are just anonymous. Um, uh, branch friend. branches of some kind of major international corporation. So what the fuck business does it have telling me what time it is? Just yeah. give me the money. Mind your own business. Yes. Yeah, stay out, of, stay out stay of my temperature. Out of, stay out of my temperature and time. I got this. Uh, and also between 2216 and 2226, the Ask Me Giant fans up off, off up at the Sunstrand Plaza within earshot were typically shut off for daily delinting. And it was quiet except <laughs> for the big shh of a whole urban city's vehicular traffic and maybe the odd EWD airborne deliverer catapulted up off concavity word, its little string of lights arcing northeast. And of course also sirens, both the Eurotrochaic sirens of ambulances and the regular U.S.-sounding sirens of the city's very finest, protecting and serving, keeping the citizenry at bay. And the winsome thing about sirens in the urban night is that unless they're right up close where the lights bathe you in red-blue-red, they always sound like they're terribly, achingly far away and receding calling to you across an expanding gap. 
Either that or they're on your ass. <laughs> no middle distance <laughs> with sirens, Lens reflects, walking along and scanning. Glynn hadn't come right out and said Euclidean, but Lens had gotten the picture all right. Glynn had thin hair and an invariant three-day growth of, three day, of gray stubble and diverticulitis that made him stoop over somewhat and remaining uh, physique-type issues from a load of bricks falling on his head from a workers' comp scam gone, gone wry, <laughs> not, uh, not awry, gone wry, that included crossed eyes that Lens overheard the veiled girl Joe, Joe L., uh, he's sp- spelled Joe L. Joe dash L. Uh, yeah, or Joe uh, L is like Joe with a last name of L. Joe L. Tell Clinette Henderson and Dee Dee Neves the man was so cross-eyed he could stand in the middle of the week and see both Sundays. <laughs> so I guess Dooney Glenn was someone might have DM'd me and said as much, but Dooney yeah. Glenn was the like Looney Tunes yeah, yeah. brick thing. Yeah, where he gotten pulled up and then <laughs> dropped back. Yeah. Lens has gotten high on organic cocaine two or three, maybe half a dozen times tops secretly since he came into Ennett House in the summer. Just enough times to keep him from going totally out of his fucking mind. Utilizing lines from the private emergency stash, he kept in a kind of rectangular bunker razor bladed out of 300 or so pages of Bill James's gargantuan large print Principles of Psychology and the Gifford Lectures on Natural Religion. That's why it's important to him, I understand. Okay, uh-huh. I get it now. I thought, I thought the meaning was important. Oh, yes. Uh, so he probably noticed the line when he was opening the mm. book to do some cocaine. Yes. Such total. Have you ever wanted to um, have a book with, with a, a secret, secret compartment? compartment? That'd be fun. I made one once. We could do that. Um, it's it really like it would easy. Be a good, uh, yeah, a good like a uh, uh, rainy day crafts project. You mod podge the or you know shellac or whatever uh, the sides of the book together wait for it to dry and then use an exacto knife to just like cut out a square in the center and then shellac that too cool let's easy, do it easy. what should we do what kind of, what book should we make it out of infinite jest yes <laughs> are there hard covers of infinite jest i've only ever seen paperback i've only editions. ever seen paperback but that's a good question such totally occasional substance ingestions in a rundown sloppy clocked house where he's cooped up and under terrible stress all day every day hiding from threats from two different legal directions with upstairs at all times calling to him a 20-gram stash from the under-reported South End two-way attempted scam whose very bad luck had forced him into hiding in squalor and rooming with the likes of fucking Jeffrey D. <laughs> Remember him? Yeah. Cocaine ingestion, this occasional and last resort, is such a market reduced marked reduction of use and abuse for lens then it's a bonafide fide miracle Bonafide, and, mm-hmm, and <laughs> clearly constitutes as much miraculous sobriety as total abstinence would be for another person without lenses unique sensitivities and psychological makeup and fucking intolerable daily stresses and difficulty unwinding and he accepts his monthly chips with a clear conscience and a head unmuddled by doubting he knows he's sober He's smart about it. He never ingested cocaine on his solo walks home from meetings, which is where the staff would expect him to ingest if he was going to ingest, and never in Edit House himself, and only once in the forbidden number seven across the roadlet. And anybody with half a clue can beat an EMIT urine screen. A cup of lemon juice or vinegar down the hatch will turn the lab's reading into gibberish. A trace of powdered bleach on the fingertips and let the stream play warmly over the fingertips on its way into the cup while you banter with Don G., a Texas catheter is a pain to get pissed for and put on. Plus, the obscene size of the thing's receptacle for his unit gives Lens inadequacy issues. <laughs> and he's only used it twice. Both times when Jeanette F. took the urine and he could embarrass her into turning away. Lens owns a Texas Cathy 
from his last halfway house in Quincy in what Lenz recalls as the year of the Maytag quiet master. Way, <laughs> year of the Maytag quiet master. <laughs> and then it turned out when a cat aggrieved Lenz by scratching his wrist in a particularly hostile fashion on the way into the receptacle, that doubled hefty steel sacks were such quality reinforced products they could hold something razor clawed and frantically in motion and still survive a direct swung hit against a no parking sign or a telephone pole without splitting open, even when what was inside split nicely open. And so that technique got substituted around United Nations Day <laughs> because even though it was too quick and less meditative, it allowed Randy Lenz to take a more active role in the process and the feeling of temporary, nightly, issues resolution was more definitive when Lenz could swing a twisting 10-kilo burden hard against a pole and go there and hear a sound. On banner nights, the doubled bag would continue for a brief period of time to undergo a subtle flux of smaller, more subtle, and connoisseur-oriented shapes, even after the Melanie sound of hard impact, along with further smaller sounds. Then it was discovered that resolving them directly inside the yards and porches of the people that owned them provided more adrenal excitation and their more and their thus more sense of what Bill James one time called a catharsis of resolving, which <laughs> Lenz felt he could agree. A small can of oil in its own little baggie for squeaky gates. But because steel sack trash bags and then also tuna fish mixed with anchovies and raid ant poison from behind the Ennett residence's fridge caused too much resultant noise to allow for lighting a gasper and hunkering down to meditatively watch, Lens developed the habit of setting the resolution in motion and then booking out on out of the uh, booking on out of the yard into the urban night, his polo top coat billowing, hurtling fences and running over the hoods of cars and etc. <laughs> for a period during the two week interval of give them poison tuna and run, Lens has had had brief recourse to a small Caldor brand squeeze bottle of kerosene, plus, of course, his lighter. But a Wednesday night on which the alight cat ran, as alight cats will, like hell, but ran after Lens seemingly, leaping the same fence as Lens hurtled and staying on his tail and not only making an unacceptable attention-calling racket, but also illuminating Lens to the scopophobic view of passing homes until it finally decided to drop to the ground and expire and smolder thereupon. Lenz considered this his only real close call and took an enormous and partly non-North route home with every siren sounding up close and on his personal ass and barely got in by 23.30 hours and ran right up to the three-man room. This was the night Lenz had had to have another recourse to the hollowed-out cavity in his Principles of Psychology and the Gifford Lectures on Natural Religion after just beating curfew home, which who would need a bit of an unwinder after a stressful close call type situation with a flaming cat chasing you and screaming in a way that made porch lights go on all up and down Sumner Blake Road. Except, but instead of an unwinder, the couple of or few lines of uncut Bing proved on this occasion an unwinder, which happens sometimes depending on one's like spiritual condition when ingesting it <laughs> through a rolled dollar bill off the back of the John in the men's can. And Lenz barely made it through switching his car's parking lot at 23.50 hours before the verbal torrent started. And after Lights Out had only gotten up to age eight in the oral autobiography that followed in The Three Man when Jeff D. threatened to go get Don G. and have Lenz forcibly stifled. And Lenz was scared to go downstairs to find someone to listen. And so for the rest of the light, he had to lie there in the dark, mute, with his mouth twisting and writhing. It always twisted and writhed on the times the bing proved to be a rev upper instead of a rough edge smoother and pretending to be asleep with phosphines like leaping 
of flaming shapes dancing behind his quivering lids, listening to Day's moist gurgles <laughs> and Glynn's apnea, and thinking that each siren abroad out there in the urban city was meant for him, and coming closer, with Day's illuminated watch face in his fucking tableside drawer instead of out where anybody with some stress and anxiety could check the time from time to time. <laughs> uh, what do you think? Do you want a little more? Or do you think you... Is that, is that the end of a, it's a sir, section? It's, it's not. It's not? Mm-hmm. Um... But you think it's a good stopping point? We're at 28. How about, how about five more minutes? Yeah, let's do five more keep minutes. Okay, great. This is a fun one. I mean, it's not fun, but it's, it's, not it's fun, kind of funny. It, yeah, it is. So after the incident with the flaming cat from hell <laughs> and before Halloween, Lens had moved on and up to the Browning X444 serrated. He even had a shoulder holster. <laughs> Jesus Christ. He even had a shoulder holster for from his previous life out there. The Browning X444 has a 25 centimeter overall length with a burl walnut handle with a brass butt cap and a point lens had sharpened the clip out of when he got it and a single edge Bowie style blade with 0.1 millimeter serrations that lens owns a a hone for and tests by dry shaving a little patch of his tan forearm, which he loves. (laughs) The Browning X444 combined with blocks of Don Gately's highly portable cornflake garnish meatloaf were for canines, which your urban canines tended to be non-feral and could be found within the confinement of their pet owners' fenced yards on a regularer basis than the urban cat species and who are less suspicious of food and, though more of a personal injury risk to approach, do not scratch the hand that feeds them. For when the dense square of meatloaf is taken out and unwrapped from the Ziploc and proffered from the edgelet of yard out past the fence by the sidewalk, the dog at issue invariably stops with the barking and or lunging and its nose flares and it becomes totally uncynical and friendly and comes to the end of its chain or the fence lens stands behind and makes interested noises. And if lens holds the meat item just up out of reach of the dog, if its rope or chain will permit it, it'll go up on the hind legs and sort of play, play the fence with its front paws, jumping eagerly as lens dangles the meat. Day had had some recovery issue paperback he was reading that Lenz had had a look at at 1 p.m. in their room when Day was downstairs with Yule and Erdetti telling each other their windbagathon stories, <laughs> lying on Day's mattress with his shoes on and trying to fart into the mattress as much as possible. Some line in the book had arrested Lenz's attention. Something about the more basically powerless an individual feels, the more likelihood for the propensity for violent acting out. And Lenz found the observation to be sound. The only serious challenge to using the Browning X444 is that Lenz has to make sure to get around behind the dog before he cuts the dog's throat because the bleeding is far-reaching in its intensity and Lenz is now on his second R. Lauren topcoat and third pair of dark wool slacks. Then once near Halloween in an alley behind Blanchard's Liquors off Alston's Union Square, Lenz comes across a street drunk in a chewed-looking old topcoat in the deserted alley taking a public leak against the side of the dumpster and Lenz and visualizes the old guy both cut and on fire and dancing jaggedly around, hitting at himself while Lenz goes there. But that's as close as Lenz comes to that kind of level of resolution, and it's maybe to his credit that he's a little off his psychic feed for a few days after that close call and inactive with pets circa uh, 22-16 hours. Lenz has nothing much against his newer fellow resident Bruce Green. Do you remember Bruce? No, which one's Bruce? He's the one who dated Mildred Bonk. Okay. They were in the uh, trailer with the guy with the hair lip who had the snakes who sold pot. 
Bruce Green, and when one Sunday night after the white flag, Green asks, can he walk along with Lenz on the walk back after the Our Father? Lenz says, whatever, and lets Green walk with him, and is inactive during this night's 22-16 interval as well. Except after a couple nights of Green strolling home along with him, first from the white flag and then from St. Column Kills on Tuesday, and a double 1900-2200 shot of St. E's sharing and caring NA, and then BYP on Wednesday, Green following him around like a terrier from meeting to meeting and then home. It begins to like emerge on Lens. <laughs> the, I, I love the malapropism. It begins to emerge on Lens that Bruce G is starting to treat this walking through the urban PM with Randy Lens thing as like a regular fucking thing. <laughs> and Lens starts to jones about it, the unresolved powerless rage issues that the thing is now he's gotten so used to resolving them on a more or less nightly basis so that being unable to be freely alone, to be active with the Browning X444, or even a steel sack during the 2216 to 2226 hour interval, causes this pressure to build up almost like a withdrawal grade pressure. But on the other side of the hand, walking with Green has its positive aspects as well, like that Green doesn't complain about lengthy detours to keep a mainly north-slash-northeastern orientation to the walks when possible. And Lenz enjoys a sympathetic and listening ear to have around. He has numerous aspects and experiences to mull over and issues to organize and mull. And, like so many people hardwired for organic stimulants, talking is sort of Lenz's way of thinking. <laughs> and, but most of the ears of the other residents at Enna House are not only unsympathetic, but are attached to great gaping, flapping oral <laughs> mouths, which keep pouring into the conversation with the mouth's own opinions and issues and aspects. Most of the residents are the worst listeners Lens has ever seen. <laughs> Bruce Green, on the other hand's positive side, hardly says anything. Uh, Bruce Bre Green is quiet the way certain stand-up type guys you want to have there uh, with, with you beside you if a beef starts going down or quiet, like self-contained. <laughs> Yet Green is not so quiet and unresponding that it's like with some silent people where you start to wonder if he's listening with a sympathizing ear or if he's really drifting around in his own self-oriented thoughts and not even listening to Lens, etc., treating Lens like a radio you can tune in or out. Lens has a keen antenna for people like this, and their stock is low on his personal exchange. <laughs> Bruce Green inserts... <laughs> Randy's an empath. Uh, <laughs> Bruce Green inserts low affirmatives and no shits and fucking A's, etc., at just the right places to communicate his attentions to Lens, which Lens admires. What do you think? Maybe stop there? Yeah, let's stop there. Okay. Uh, I don't know because I, I I just feel um, wary because I might be like, oh, wonder if we do a little bit more and you're going to like read a <laughs> section about him like clinically murdering a dog. Yeah. I'm like, I don't know if I really want it. Yeah. Uh, no, thanks, pal. Well, not till next week anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, file this under uh, one of the uh, segments that's where basically the theme is got to be addicted to something. Got to be addicted to something. Addicted to, to yep. murdering. But he, this is the rare, you know, I think this the sympathetic view of addicts in this book is that you, addicts are still g generally, you know, people with good and bad about them. And Randy Lenz appears to be a, more of a psychopath. Yes, he does. Um, yeah, and I think that the, uh, again, the very clinical way that he kind of outlines this this slow buildup of the, the classic... Um, uh, at least two parts of the dark try the dark triad which is the um uh pyromania killing animals and uh bedwetting classic oh uh, yes classic uh signs of a uh psychopath or a serial killer yes right uh he's got at least two he's got at least two uh signs are uh juries out on whether or not he still wets the bed oh i mean 
I feel like bedwetting is not maybe the most uncommon practice in uh yeah. Although they they've I feel like everyone has at least detoxed and maybe the, the yeah. worst is over there, but Oh Randy. I the way I see Randy is almost like um the uh like a, a realistic portrayal of what American psycho actually would be. Yeah. Like the um Brady Sinella's version is like very glamorous, unlimited money, like no responsibilities, like super fashionable and mm -hmm. going to, you know, cool night spots. And then you have Randy Lenz who's still wearing his like Ralph Lauren, but it's po it's polo by Ralph Lauren, which is not as nice as Ralph Lauren, uh, <laughs> like flapping through the night, uh, trying to get back to his uh, shitty halfway house. Uh, yeah. Throw uh, crushing rats with rocks. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. I don't know, man. <laughs> well, I think it, it's safe to say that the reason we're spending, I know we, we spend time with people and you don't know why, mm -hmm. uh, Randy Lenz, the, the problem with Randy Lenz will basically be the, the hinge on which this plot sort of takes a turn. Okay. He's a, he's an important guy, uh, to the, uh, to the main thing in this book that does happen. happen. Which I've, you, we're, we're building up to it. Eventually something's going to happen. We're working up to our big drink. Yeah. We're Virgin pina colada. We're working up to our big plot point. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, and I, you are right because we have like spent a lot of time in, in, with the interior lives of addicts, and I think for the most part, uh, even their most destructive behavior is at least given a, um, a bit of a, a, yeah, sympathetic portrayal to an exploration. And this yeah. is, he's the 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 one in here that has been a, uh, yeah, this person, this guy just sucks. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, like. We, I also like the very specific thing of him uh, discussing that. He needs to talk constantly, but people who talk back at him are uh, bad listeners or bad listeners and uh, yeah, yeah, dominating the conversation. Yeah. Also, like the, the describing what happens when he gets high is of feeling a compulsion to share an uh, oral autobiography, yeah, uh, <laughs> just a not non stop patter about like his, his life and, and yeah. all of his thoughts, being intimidated by the catheter. I do somewhat as a podcaster, I do somewhat relate to the idea of like thinking by by talking. Mm -hmm. Talking is thinking, but I, I like to think that most of the time I, I I try to think a little bit before I talk. But when you podcast, you gotta just you gotta just spit it out there, you know? Uh one of the funniest things Felix has ever said. I was having a thought out loud, also known as a sentence. <laughs> uh, I, I yeah. once thought I had the idea, I'm like It'd be nice if, like, what, like you could have like a real WebMD, like, yeah, like a doctor. <laughs> like a, <laughs> a WebMD, like but nice it was if, a guy. If, yeah, if WebMD was like a guy, like diagnosing you. Yeah, like, no, oh, it's right. a doctor. Mm -hmm. Um, poor, poor animals. Poor animals. I, I would imagine uh, the experience, even in an urban area, of going to your back dog and uh, yard and realizing that someone has uh, cut the throat of your dog. Uh, it cannot be a pleasant one. But that would be very horrific. Yeah. It also, it would feel, uh, it's funny that L Lens is, um, L Lens is also the, I feel like the dark mirror of Pemulus in that they're both like paranoid, uh, uh, yeah. speed, speed guys. Pemulus is on a, basically a constant drip of, uh, of, of Drins. Yes. And, uh, R Randy's a Coke man and they're both equally from the like kind of low, lower, uh, lower class, uh, Boston zone. Um, and pa paranoid out of their minds uh, you can almost see pemulus turning into a lens if yes. something goes wrong 
I mean, is that one of the things that we're supposed to take from the the house, the Ennett house, and the um, the the tennis academy being so close together is like <laughs> one is basically the future of the other? Yeah, or like kind of there, but for the the grace of of dog go they. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, th- th- yeah, that is the meticulousness that he's describing, like you know, the neatly folded uh, garbage bag and yeah. stuff like that. Right. Yeah. Exactly. He's a He's a well well planned and and his eccentricities hide his yeah. his darker uh darker impulses. But Pe- Pemulus is more or less a jokester. Yeah. Uh, although uh he he did for example you know wiring that doorbell cause like a permanent injury to a, a cleaning crew. <laughs> yeah. So like he he do, there are there is collateral to his uh his whims, but it's not it's not as serious yet. Also, we see Madame Psychosis again. Uh, what call it? Yeah. Uh, Dooney Glenn did it. Yeah. The met the madam the, the, the madam yeah. Uh, we'll we'll talk a little bit more about. Have we talked about metam psychosis on here? Met metam psychosis? No. I don't even know I if I want know. to get into it. I wrote my college thesis on it because it was a feature of Ulysses, which is the other big one of the other big ass books. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wrote <laughs> about the concept of metam psychosis and Ulysses specifically in the catechism chapter. The idea being that um, uh, y- you. I don't I don't even know how like by storytelling you can basically trade trade souls with someone. It's the transmigration of souls. Okay. Uh and I I, I don't know, it was a very stupid idea that I guess was just supposed to prove that I have learned how to write a paper at some point. That in is my an life. important part of it being educated. But proving that you can write a paper. That's it basically. Five um, paragraphs, baby. I passed. Uh <laughs> I passed. I got I got the big D. <laughs> I went to school and I got the big D. Uh, but the thing I wanted to say is that psychedelics as metapsychosis is an interesting um, uh, metaphor that he is drawing that um, it is only once you fuck up your perception of reality so badly by like flooding your brain with like weird chemicals yeah. that you can like see the world differently and then you like it changes you. Yes. Like you look at the sky and it's a huge clock slash temperature slash thermometer. What the hell? <laughs> I don't know. It's it's something I'll think about more because I don't. I'm not sure how much more we'll we'll end up meeting the actual drug in this. We will at the end, actually. Well, Sorry, again, I guess spoiler alert. I guess it's kind of a um, uh, you know, an abyss watching thing. You know, you stare long enough into the uh, hallucinatory insanity. Of, of uh, eventually, the hallucinatory insanity comes back into yeah. you. The other thing it is. Uh, it all it's all coming together it's the motherfucking matrix it is the matrix it's uh l- looking at the sky and realizing it's a computer yes come on man that's think, cool right do you think wallace liked the matrix do you think the wachowskis like doing acid these are all great questions do you think the wachowskis <laughs> have ever read uh infinite jest i i wish i wish we knew um they, i feel like di- director am i is this a crazy um, i would guess yes because they adapted cloud atlas and i feel like if you're into that kind of like hefty literature you've probably at least p- thought about infinite jest i also think visually speed racer has even more in common with psychedelics than uh the matrix in some mm-hmm. way uh because the like when he drives so fast that he like swirls the yeah. pattern of the um the track like that's mm. that's pure acid they mu- they must have done it at least at least sometime yeah although the, uh, the thing i love about speed racer so much is that there is a kind of for all of its wild visual uh components there is a kind of like a wonderful like top of the form expert cinematic visual logic to everything mm-hmm. and that's what makes it so great is that 
everything happening is so crazy, mm-hmm. but it's so easy to track what's going on because they are great filmmakers. Because they're great filmmakers. Yes. But uh, you can exactly also argue that the, the craft. Dur- during a trip, things follow the same logic. Like it's illogical logic, right? Yeah. Well, and everything also makes perfect sense to you to in you. the moment. And the, th- the hard thing is And then you try to explain it to somebody, it. somebody else and they're like, what the fuck are you on what about? Are you, what are you on about? Or if they're vibing with you, they, they get it too. Or... or yeah, totally. Totally. I d- I done mushroom once with mushrooms once with a friend, and we were looking at the uh, New York skyline from the uh, Williamsburg like Domino Park, and she said, "Look at the Empire State Building; it's dancing." And I was like, "Yeah, man, <laughs> it was." I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> we we both got it. Anyway, this is all this is all to say, uh, you know, perception, reality. Who who yeah. knows what's going on? What's important? <laughs> More at eleven. Yeah. What's important <laughs> is that the sky was the color of a TV turned to a dead, dead, dead channel. Yeah. Um, do you think David Foster Wallace likes Neuromancer? I, I, I would assume, I don't know who would, who wouldn't like Neuromancer. That's a good question. Who that's wouldn't? A, that's a simply a good book. Yeah. I love, I love that book. Someone uh, needs to turn that into a movie. Honestly. It's shocking that they haven't. I was, re- I was got the reading rights? a thread about, about like what, some somebody being like, it's so weird that, that nobody's really taken a stab at it. I don't know. Gib- Gibson's on Twitter. You could just ask him. I feel like he'd probably respond to you. Here's a quote. While we're asking unanswerable questions, how do you think Gibson feels about NFTs and crypto? That's a good question. Uh, that probably seems... There are probably a lot of things where... Um, you know, Gibson it really isn't that much of a futurist. He's, he, I think that he would even describe himself as like... he. You know, he's not like somebody who like predicts the future or like, you know, uh, it feels like he has some special insight into yeah. like the development of technology or something. I think he would describe himself like... Look, I'm I'm a writer first and foremost, yeah, and so yeah. I like I write cool stories. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure there's a lot of stuff that he thought was like wildly fantastic in his writing that just happened. And now it's just like, <laughs> yeah, this is basically it. Um, but that's the thing about like, I mean, am, am uh, I crazy that like there is basically some sort of element of like Bitcoin mining in Neuromancer? I don't yeah, know. <laughs> I don't. It's like, but that's the thing about the cyberpunk that's so funny is that like this the cyberpunk futurism predicted a a future shaped by technology that was like grim and brutal through it's it's like through it's shaped by technology but mm-hmm. the future we actually got is both more grim and brutal but m- depressingly way more boring and stupid Indi- yeah, than and anything stupid. like exciting like techno assassins from us uh, yeah from, uh, um uh, neuromancer it's or whatever. why it's why i think the most to, to me what is most disappointing about like the current stuff with like nfts and like DAOs and do they, do people say DAOs or daos i have no idea what that is it's a like a it's decentralized like organizations that, oh, okay that it's basically like a group group like for example the people who bought um the copy of the, the jodorowsky's dune jodorowsky's dune it was called spice spice dow or spice dao um, it's it is like it's it's people with like the most money and like the worst ideas. Yes, exactly. And just like totally, uh, totally <laughs> incurious, totally, um, the totally whole, embarrassing. The whole crypto space is is like cocaine ideas. The industry. Yeah, and not 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 me being like um yeah let's throw it back to when super rich people had like better taste but yeah. but like it's true that you and again no, i'm not trying to re- return here yeah but you look at the things that you people used to spend their excess money on and at least it was kind of like beautiful and classy yeah 
we there's no concept of beauty anymore. Does, am I sounding like fascist right now by saying this? I don't I don't know, man. I'm sorry. I don't think a cartoon monkey looks good or is inspiring. It I think truly it's horrifying. is. I, I, I'm sure that there are more sophisticated. Um, you know, a lot of people have said this. I'm sure there are more sophisticated criti- critiques of the NFT space, but the main one that I have is everything looks like shit. Everything, lo- everything <laughs> looks like shit, and it's dumb as hell. Yeah. And it's it's depressing to see people with uh, seemingly so much money, or at least the power to raise so much money, using it on such unbelievably stupid things. But is it, it, every generation gets the uh, wasteful uh, expenditures that we deserve? Yeah, yeah. Uh. <sighs> See that, but that just to finish it off, we're mm-hmm. talking about neuromancer cyber. Uh, that's I keep saying cyberpunk. Yeah, cyberpunk. Yeah, cyberpunk. Uh, I'm just thinking of the video game for for mm-hmm. some reason. Uh, the, but yeah, cyberpunk. I mean, that's why you know David Foster Wallace gets it right because he predicts a, a boring, stupid, ugly future. Yeah the the t- the the end end product of capitalism is just like people being idiots and like being yeah. gro- <laughs> gross and embarrassing, and that's yes. why you have a. Uh, the Statue of Liberty holding up an adult uh, diaper in, in in their hand instead yeah. of a torch. All right, uh, we'll hit you up next week. Well, hey, well, yes. Yeah, sorry for the sorry for the uh, wait, as uh, Lil Wayne would say. Um, we have been traveling and uh, and uh, going to weddings. weddings. Yes, um, but yeah, see you next week. See you next week. Bye. Bye.